Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast hello everyone amy wheeler here on the yoga therapy hour podcast and i've had a lot of messages of goodwill and support and love and care in the last couple of months. And I just really wanted to say thank you for that. You have no idea how much that means to me. And I want everyone to know that I'm doing really well. I'm still sleeping a lot and it takes a lot of focus to use my tongue and talk appropriately, but it's getting a little bit easier. I'm eating just fine and life is good. I'm really happy. I had my first post-surgery CT scan on Tuesday. I have not got the results yet, but I'll have to do that several times in the upcoming year just to make sure that nothing has spread. But right now, things are looking really, really great. So one of the things that people told me was when I was in the middle of my illness, I had done two podcasts. One was about alignment in your life, and another one was about the four aims of life. And some of you said that you just really loved hearing me on my own podcast. So we're going to try something. And that is every fourth week, I'm going to do the podcast by myself. We'll have three guests every month. And then the fourth one will just be me talking. So today I wanted to share with you something that I really, really loved that I got the opportunity to do last year. It's been about a year after having been president of the International Association of Yoga Therapists Board of Directors, I get asked to do a lot of international speaking. And of course, more recently, that has been on Zoom. So this was the fifth annual Asian Yoga Therapy Conference. And I was asked to talk about COVID and pranayama. And so I pre-recorded the talk that I gave because you know, sometimes when you're trying to figure out time zones in India and Asia, it's very challenging. So I pre-recorded it. So today's podcast is going to be all about pranayama and COVID. And that's not to say that pranayama can create a cure for COVID in any way, shape or form, 
But sometimes when we have maybe a mild case of COVID or even a moderate case of COVID, there are some breathing techniques that tend to have a really great effect. And so I thought you might all like to learn more about that. And, you know, the other thing I want to say about this before we jump into that talk that was previously recorded is basically that, you know, one of the main goals of health and healing through yoga therapy is that we basically get more prana to flow in the body with more ease, more smoothness. And, you know, however you want to look at prana and life force, you can look at it as great blood flow. You can look at it as lymph is flowing. I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about our bodies being healthy and happy, but there is a model from the ancient texts that basically talks about how do we get prana to flow in the body? And I would like to just kind of review that before we get into the fifth annual Asian yoga conference, because I think this relates to what I was talking about in my presentation. So there's something called the prana agni mala model. So let's just review what does prana mean? What does agni mean? What does mala mean? So mala is kind of the toxic residue that can be left on any of the five layers of our human system. Physical, probably due to some of the things we choose to eat. It can be more pranic or, you know, very subtle energy that probably has a little bit more to do with our karma, if you want to go in that direction. And the things that are are stuck within us because of our karma. The third area that we have this mala or this toxic residue could be kind of our mental, emotional states when they're out of balance consistently. And then a fourth area that could have some toxic residue could be our communication, our perception, our connections or lack thereof, this inability to sustain relationships. And when we get ourselves in the middle of messy relationships, how do we react that can stick with us for a long time? And then last but not least, the kind of spiritual work that we are willing to do or incapable of doing in this world. So there's a lot of ways that mala can build up in the system. And, you know, we say that there are these energetic channels called nadis. Some people say there's 72,000. Some people say there's up to 360,000 of these very, very subtle, immeasurable energy channels or nadis. That's where the mala tends to kind of block. And many of our illnesses like chronic fatigue, like cancer, a lot of the autoimmune diseases, high cholesterol, there's, there's many that fall into this category, it has to do with kind of the channels in the system becoming very blocked by this mala and what it means to be happy and healthy and and heal is that we burn off some of the mala so that we create more space. And if you think about that, creating space on all the layers of the human system, space in the physical body, 
recently with my tongue cancer, I had lost some weight and suddenly I can go into Janusurjasana for the first time in many years. <laughs> and it cracks me up. I create a little space in my physical body, but it could also be space in your pranic body or your subtle body. It could be space in your mental states and your emotional states, feeling more clear and clean and light. It could be space in your relationships a proper space where you're not being controlling, you're not being codependent, but you're you're able to move with grace and ease and your communication and your perception and your connection. And it could be space created on a spiritual level where you are able to surrender into devotion, into something larger than yourself. So when we are able to burn the mala, which we'll talk about in a minute, we create space and it's in that vacuum of space that the prana can flow. And you know that your prana is flowing nicely because you're pain-free on all the layers of your human system. You feel light, you feel spacious, you feel non-reactive, you feel content, we call it feeling like you have a sattvic mind. That's how we know the prana is flowing. It's just a sense of well-being, right? And that's really what we're trying to do with yoga therapy is help people to have that sense of well-being more often. And the beautiful thing about this sense of well-being and creating a little more space inside of ourselves is that when we have that nice prana flowing, that nice sense of well-being, we oftentimes have more clarity in life. We can hear better, we can process better, we can communicate better, we can make better decisions. There's many ways to look at having great clarity in your life, but bottom line is you're probably suffering less because you have clarity. So, Yoga therapy is all about trying to figure out how we can burn the mala at all the layers of our human system and have that tapas, as we talk about in Kriya Yoga from Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, beginning of chapter two. How can you have that tapas and burn the mala and be willing to burn the mala? It's not always comfortable. But how can you burn the mala so that there's more space, the prana can flow, and you have more viveka or more clarity? So as we go through this presentation today from the fifth annual South Asian yoga conference, there's a lot of Western medicine in this talk, a lot of physiology, right? I really kind of leaned more heavily into the Western biomedical in this talk. However, what I'd like you to do is simultaneously be listening and thinking about this very ancient model of prana mala agni. And think about what does it mean to cleanse the nadis, creating more space for the prana to flow so that we have more clarity. I kind of want you to be thinking of that and also the Western biomedical because we need both, right? It's not one or the other. We need both in order to help people find that health and happiness and ease. So I hope you enjoy this talk and I will see you on the other side. Hello, and thank you for inviting me, Amy Wheeler, to present at the fifth 
Asian Yoga Therapy Conference on Yoga and Well-Being. And it is such a pleasure and an honor to be here at this conference in Singapore. I wish I could be with you in person, but as we know, the COVID-19 pandemic worldwide has stopped us from actually being together in the same room. But we are so blessed to be able to come together, at least online. And so I'm very happy to be talking with you today about breathing and pranayama for working with clients who are experiencing symptoms of COVID-19. My name is Amy Wheeler, and I am the former president of the International Association of Yoga Therapists. I was president of the board from 2018 to 2020. I'm also a 25-year veteran that is a professor of kinesiology at California State University since 1996. So I've been looking at the human body and physiology and kinesiology and biomechanics for a really long time. And I am the founder and director of the Optimal State Yoga Therapy Training School, which is about a three-year program to train yoga therapists. And I've been doing that since about 2007 to the present. So I want to talk today about COVID-19 on, on several different levels. And while we know that yoga cannot prevent someone from getting COVID-19, we know that COVID-19 is a virus that infects the body, that sometimes it's going to do what it's going to do. However, there are ideas from yoga, from Ayurveda, that can maybe help lessen how badly the virus affects our own system. And again, every single person is different. Some people are genetically predisposed to have the virus attack them more than others, depending on underlying health issues, some that are known and some that are unknown. It really is scary because we don't know what we don't know, right? That is called avidya. And so we don't know if we are going to be the one that COVID is going to really take a toll on, or if we're going to be someone that maybe is going to even be asymptomatic. So with all of that in mind, I feel that we should do every single thing we possibly can within our control to get the best possible outcome. And so when we look at how COVID enters the system, we know that especially with the Delta variant and soon we're apparently going to have the Mu variant, the MU variant, that these are spreading through the air up to 15 feet very quickly with very limited exposure. Some people say as little as 15 seconds. And so what we know is that the COVID virus has to get through the nose and the vocal cord to go down and reach into the lungs where it does the damage. So some simple things we can do to add a layer of protection. And again, we know it won't prevent this in 100% of the cases, but using oil and just taking a little bit of oil on our finger and putting it inside the nostrils a little bit to add another layer of kind of viscous oil to stop everything from going right up in there. And then of course, 
every single person on earth, vaccinated or unvaccinated, should be wearing a mask in public when around other people. And I, I personally think indoors and outdoors, because if this can spread in 15 seconds, up to 15 feet away, it's to all of our advantage to both oil every single time we leave the house and to wear a tight fitting mask every single time we leave the house. Now, if you're hiking out in nature with you and your spouse and you know you want to take off your mask, of course, that type of thing is fine. But for most of us that are part of society, we would do better to wear a mask as much as possible to prevent the virus from getting up into the nasal cavity, into the sinuses, and eventually down to the lungs. So these ideas of face coverings and oiling, this is time-tested. People have been doing this in many cultures around the world for thousands of years in different ways. There's no reason for us to doubt that this can help either have less of the virus get into the system, which we know matters, maybe stop the virus from entering the system, but at the very least, letting everyone know that we care about them. That's one of the biggest reasons. And we know from yoga and Ayurveda that we are a human family that is all in this together. And even if I feel like I'm healthy and I'm fine and I'm vaccinated, what about the high-risk person next door? What about the grandmother? What about the person with autoimmune disease? Wearing a face mask is just a way to tell these people, hey, I care about you, and I'm going to do my best to not cough on you, to not sneeze on you, to not breathe on you, and I hope you'll do the same for me. I hope you'll have that courtesy as a human race, letting each other know that we care about one another. It's not that much of an inconvenience. If you think about what's been going on in the world since the beginning of time and how people have come together to take care of one another as part of this human family, we've made much bigger sacrifices. So let's listen to the ancient wisdom. Let's listen to the teachings of yoga and Ayurveda that talk about community and Sangha and kindness and sweetness and caring for one another. All of those things are not only spiritually the right thing to do, but we also know that when we are not lonely, when we are in connection with other people, our immune system is actually stronger when we feel loved. There is so much great research out there showing that when we take care of one another and we're part of a family or a community that's caring and kind and people don't feel lonely, that all sorts of health markers shift, such as inflammation going down, right? So this is really great research that's already out there. There's a wonderful researcher at UCLA named Stephen Cole that does a lot of great studies on loneliness if we can prevent loneliness, we can actually prevent a lot of health problems from coming on from immune system things all the way to inflammation. So this is just not good science, but it's correct spiritually that we do care about one another enough to take care of one another and realize that as our yamas and niyamas tell us, we are here to create no harm, right? Ahimsa no harm. So with that said, let's go on to the anatomy and really look at what's happening inside of us when we do some of these yogic and Ayurvedic 
techniques. So we know that our first line of defense in the human system against the virus, and again, this is not every single person with every single time we get exposed, but the first line of defense is something called nitric oxide, which acts as an antimicrobial and antiviral, sterilizing the air as it comes in. And the other really cool thing about nitric oxide is that it is needed to create surfactant, which in COVID, that's the major thing that happens when we don't have enough of that viscous surfactant inside of the alveoli, the alveoli collapse. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but just to say nitric oxide helps to create surfactant and is an antimicrobial antiviral that's sterilizing the air coming in. So one of the first things we can take from our yogic teachings and yoga therapy teachings is to breathe through the nose whenever possible to take advantage of this production of nitric oxide, which mouth breathing does not offer. Mouth breathing is also associated with the sympathetic nervous system. Nose breathing is associated with the parasympathetic nervous system, right? So basically we want to make sure that we're doing nose breathing to keep ourselves in the parasympathetic, which will be much better for our immune system. And also to take advantage of that nitric oxide production. Now, how do we create nitric oxide? What is the breathing technique that is best for helping to create nitric oxide. And that is the humming bee breath or what we call Brahmhari. The vibration in the Brahmhari breathing vibrates the sinuses. So if we go back to the previous slide and look at all the sinuses are where the, the pink spots are all the way up in here and down in through here. If we look at that and we know that Brahmhari breathing helps to create nitric oxide in the sinuses, that's where the nitric oxide gets released. And this is what helps us make more surfactant, which is going to be helpful down the road to the alveoli, which are actually inside the lungs. So when we make that extra surfactant, this reduces the infection in the upper respiratory tract, and it maintains the shape and the size and the stability of the alveoli down in the lungs, which will help to give us better gas exchange in the lower respiratory tract. So it's, it's actually helping in two ways. So let's take a moment and do some Brahmari breathing. You can do this all day long on your own five times a day is what I would suggest, especially if you feel like your immune system is a little low, or maybe you've been at higher risk, or maybe you just like Brahmari breathing and it feels good and it makes you have a sense of health and well-being and a little bit of control. So go ahead and place your feet flat on the floor. Relax your hips and your lower abdomen. Make sure that your back is nice and straight. Gently tuck your chin just a little bit, making the back of your neck long. Close your lips together and just put a tiny little inner smile. That inner smile is really important. That's the attitude you're going at this with, the bhavana. And then once you've got your inner smile established, place your right hand on your heart and your left hand on top of that. 
and inhale through both nostrils. And as you exhale, close your lips and hum. Let's do that two more times. When you finish, just lower your hands down, keep your inner smile, and then gently open your eyes. So I would recommend that you do that for about five minutes, multiple times a day to help create the nitric oxide, which is going to help create more surfactant for the alveoli and is also going to help create the antimicrobial antiviral in the upper respiratory tract. All right. So let's talk about now that the virus may go past the upper respiratory tract. As we said, these techniques are not a guarantee that you will not get COVID. Nobody can guarantee that, right? But let's talk about the lower respiratory tract, which is the trachea to the bronchioles, which then go into the lungs to the alveoli. And the alveoli are little air sacs. There's about 480 million little tiny grape-like structures in the lungs, 480 million. And in these little grape-like structures, there are capillaries, very, very tiny, tiny capillaries where the oxygen and the carbon dioxide are exchanged in the lungs. COVID mainly affects the cells in the alveoli, and it takes that surfactant to hold open the alveoli or the air sacs. So if we have less surfactant, the air sacs collapse. And unfortunately, it's when these alveoli collapse that proper gas exchange cannot happen. The oxygen and the carbon dioxide cannot actually exchange properly. And this is when people might be put on a ventilator. Here's the problem. The ventilator may be pumping oxygen into the body. And so it looks like inhalation and exhalation are actually happening, but there's a good chance that even though the machine is pumping the inhalation and exhalation, the gas exchange actually is not happening, at least at the level that we'd like it to, the percentage of gas exchange that we'd like it to, when this happens, the oxygen levels drop. So even though there's oxygen being pumped in, the carbon dioxide and the oxygen in the lungs is not actually exchanging at the capillary levels. And this is when someone gets very low oxygen level. And unfortunately, why people tend to crash or end up dying suddenly because there's nothing they can do to get the gas exchange to happen. Also, even if someone doesn't die, if there's 
a time period where the oxygen and carbon dioxide are not being exchanged, this can cause fibrosis of the lungs. And this type of complication can cause long-term problems with the alveoli so that weeks or months or years later, because the lungs have more fibrosis, they can't do the oxygen exchange even after the person has supposedly healed from COVID. So long-term complications are something we don't know a whole lot about yet. This idea of COVID long hauler syndrome affecting the inflammation in the body, affecting the joint pain in the body, affecting the long-term ability to breathe well, it's a big deal. And we don't know what's gonna happen. And again, we don't know who it's going to happen to because it's almost a little bit of a mystery. So going back to the trachea that are going into the air is moving from the trachea to the bronchioles into the alveoli, into the lungs. What we know is that through shallow breathing, short, shallow breathing up here in the very top part of the lungs that, you know, the lungs are sectioned into three sections, but up in the very top, which is where a lot of us do our stress breathing when we're in the sympathetic nervous system, we know that in short, shallow breathing, oxygen does not actually reach the lowest part of the lungs down by the bottom of your rib cage, almost towards your waist. And so when that oxygen does not reach the lowest part of the lungs, the lower alveoli, the percentage of oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange is not as great. And what we know is if it can't get exchanged in the lungs, then it's not going to be distributed to the tissues. Now, learning how to do slow, rhythmical, subtle, deep breathing that's how we can get the oxygen to reach the very bottom part of the lungs. And you can even put your hands on your own body and feel down there the, the very bottom part of your rib cage, right? Just put your hands, feel down there. Okay, there's the bottom of my rib cage, right? That's about how far down your lungs go. So when we take a deep breath where we draw the breath from the nose, past the chest, all the way down into the bottom of the rib cage and maybe even the belly exchange, we know that we are getting the breath down to the very lowest alveoli at the very bottom of the lungs. And that's where there's a higher percentage of oxygen and carbon dioxide gas exchange. And that is when not only is the gas exchange happening well in the lungs, but we know that the delivery to the actual tissues of the body will be better also. So one thing we can teach our clients, whether they have COVID, they don't have COVID, they're trying not to get COVID, let's go ahead and teach how it is that we can do really nice, deep breathing. We know that shallow breathing is not what we wanna be doing. It is deep breathing that improves the oxygen saturation in the blood. And that's both in the lungs, and the blood and the tissue level. So I'm just gonna do a very brief little exercise to show you how I teach deep breathing. So again, placing your feet flat on the floor, relaxing your legs and your hip and your low back and your low belly, allowing your spine to stand nice and straight, tucking your chin just a little bit so that your head is sitting squarely over your shoulders, closing your eyes. Just place your hands on your upper chest for a moment, 
And when you take an inhalation in through the nose, feel the upper chest rising. And then feel the upper chest gently releasing back down. So that is not where we want you to breathe from. So move your hands a little bit lower below your pectorals about to the middle of your rib cage. You can even put some of the pads of your fingers, your pointer finger, your middle finger, your ring finger. You can even put that at the bottom of your sternum. And again, just take a breath and see if you can't inhale the breath past the nose, past the upper chest and feel the rib cage expanding in all directions underneath your hands. And then feel the rib cage coming back to its normal position as you exhale. Now, for some people who are very stressed out, they have what we call a stuck diaphragm, and it will be very difficult for them to get the breath to enter down into the middle of the rib cage and feel the rib cage and the middle cavity of the body expanding as they breathe in and out. Now I'd like you to bring your hands all the way down to the bottom of your ribs. So you can even use your fingers and kind of feel that little pointy triangle at the very bottom, and then just place your palms on your lower ribs. Your fingers might be just kind of pointing down a little bit towards your belly button. And now take a deep breath in through the nose, draw the breath past the chest, past the middle ribs, Feel the lower rib cage flaring out and feel your belly expanding. When your diaphragm actually goes down on the inhalation, all the organs in the lower abdomen will get pushed on and expand. And then when you exhale, you'll feel a gentle pulling in of the abdominal cavity. The diaphragm will go back up to its normal position in the umbrella shape and the breath will move up and out through your chest and out through your nose. So let's do two more breaths like that. Inhale, nose, rib cage, lower belly, maybe even all the way down to your pelvic floor, expanding. Exhale, gently pull in, empty the breath out of the rib cage, the chest, and the nose. Imagine the breath coming all the way down to the very bottom of your lungs, towards the bottom of your rib cage, and all of those little alveoli filling up 480 million all the way to the very bottom of the lungs. And then exhale the breath back out. So again, do that multiple times per day. Try to train the body to breathe all the way into the lowest alveoli. The other really cool thing about that is at the very bottom of the lungs, when it fills up all the way down there, there's these little sensors that tell us we're safe and bring us into the parasympathetic nervous system. So, so far we've got Brumhari breathing for nitric oxide. And now we've got deep breathing to help train our bodies to get the oxygen to come all the way down into the bottom alveoli so that the gas exchange can happen at a higher percentage, delivering more oxygen to the tissues. Now, when we look at the lungs, we, we know that the zoning of the lungs affects the circulation of the oxygen because of gravity. Right? So what's happening in the very lowest lobes of the lungs is very different than what's happening in the upper part of the lungs. 
So let's look at the gas exchange that's happening in the upper lungs versus the lower lungs. Now, the gas exchange that's happening at the level of the lungs in the alveoli is called external ventilation. The oxygen and the carbon dioxide that's being exchanged in the lungs is called external ventilation. And as we just said, if there's not enough surfactant, which is partially created by nitric oxide, if there's not enough surfactant, the alveoli collapse and the gas exchange cannot happen at the level of external ventilation. But what a lot of people don't understand is that after the external ventilation happens in the lungs, there's a whole nother process that needs to be happening at the level of the tissues. So when the oxygenated blood gets pumped out into the body, into the tissues and the organs and the arms and the legs and the muscle tissue, this is what we call internal respiration. And there's a whole nother type of gas exchange that needs to happen at the level of the tissues. Again, carbon dioxide and oxygen need to be exchanged right? So as the oxygenated blood comes out of the lungs and gets pumped through the body, it wants to drop off the oxygen to the tissues and pick up the carbon dioxide from the tissue to go bring that carbon dioxide back up to the lungs where another gas exchange happens. We'll exhale out the carbon dioxide, inhale in more oxygen, pick up more oxygen to do the whole thing over again. So what a lot of people don't understand about what's happening in the process of COVID-19 is that we're having a problem of gas exchange at the lungs, but we're also having a problem with gas exchange at the tissue, especially because if we didn't get very high percentage of gas exchange at the lungs, the amount of oxygen that's getting pumped to the tissue is so much less and then we know that the tissues will not be receiving what they need. So this is pretty important for us to understand that if we go all the way back up to looking at the different sections or the zoning of the lungs, the upper one third is more air than blood. So the oxygen that's mixing with the blood in the top one third of the lungs that basically we need to get blood up there in order for that exchange to happen at the top of the lungs so that it can get more oxygen. So this is why we're putting people in a position where they're on their stomach, their hips are lifted higher than their heart. And this is going to help bring blood into that top one third of the lungs so that we can basically get the blood up there so the oxygen and the carbon dioxide can be exchanged, right? It's the gravity that's pulling more blood down to the bottom of the lungs. And that's why the gas exchange at the bottom of the lungs is so much stronger than the gas exchange in the top part of the lungs. There's more tissue with blood at the bottom of the lungs because the, the gravity is pulling the blood down. So that's really kind of an important thing to think about. This is why we oftentimes advise people to lie on their stomach and put a pillow under their chest 
so that you can turn your head and feel comfortable in your neck, but also put a pillow under your hips to elevate your hips to reduce the effect of gravity. This will help to distribute oxygen more evenly. And, you know, you can be there for 10 or 15 minutes. We don't want you to sleep in that position, but you get the idea. One other thing that we should say is that there's more lung tissue and alveoli in the back of the body. A lot of people don't realize that. They think that the lungs are in the front of the body, but they're actually more in the back because of the need for accommodation of the other organs. So this is why we say lie in your stomach, right? So people can really practice breathing into the back body. And in yoga, we might say something like child's pose with your hips elevated a little bit. So these are things to think about when it comes to yoga postures, even something like downward facing dog, right? Adho Mukashvanasana could be a great thing for us to be doing on a regular basis to get that gravity, to bring the blood up into the top one third of the lungs. So more oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange can happen. All right. So now we're going to talk about one more thing, and that is something called the Bohr effect. And this is hard science. Basically, what we know about the Bohr effect is that when there's not enough oxygen in the bloodstream, the gas exchange is worse. The oxygen cannot delink from the hemoglobin to be delivered to the tissue. So think about that. When there's not enough carbon dioxide in the bloodstream, the oxygen cannot delink to get to the tissues. So it's very counterintuitive. We're like, I want more oxygen. I'm going to take big inhales. But you, if you don't have enough carbon dioxide, the, the balance is what we really need of oxygen and carbon dioxide. So the Bohr effect is that we actually want the carbon dioxide in the bloodstream to go up so that the oxygen will release from the hemoglobin and get distributed to the tissue. So how do we do that? Why is the Bohr effect important for what we're teaching as yoga teachers and yoga therapists? Because it's the exhalation phase of our breath in the, the blue here, or the, the teal color, and it's the hold after exhalation that causes carbon dioxide to go up. And when the carbon dioxide goes up, the tissues can then receive the oxygen. So I don't know about you, but as a yoga therapist, I'm working with long exhales to get people into their parasympathetic nervous system. I'm working with hold after exhalation so, so much. And not only is that putting them into a more relaxed state, but it's also creating the spore effect which is helping to deliver oxygen to the tissues. So keep in mind that when you're needing more oxygen, it's not just trying to get big inhales into your system. The problem may be that you don't have enough carbon dioxide and you actually need to work on long exhale and hold after exhale, which will ironically give you more oxygen. And that's not to say we don't also inhale, right? Every exhalation has an inhalation, but you might focus on that. You might think about, okay, do I need to develop a pranayama practice around some kumbhaka 
maybe on hold after inhale and hold after exhale, right? You could do both. As long as you get the long exhales and the hold after exhales, you should be okay. And it's not to say you shouldn't or can't do long inhales and hold after inhales, but just saying to not forget about those nice exhalations and how important they are. Another thing I'd like you to think about a little bit is this idea from the Patanjali's Yoga Sutra of Dirga Shukshma. How do we define pranayama? Smooth, subtle, slow, right? Dirga Shukshma. And so what we know is that carbon dioxide and oxygen, that gas exchange, both in the lungs, but also at the tissues, happens more efficiently. We get a higher percentage of oxygen being delivered when we breathe slowly and when we breathe subtly, dirga shukshma, with very refined breath. So it's not that we want to be going inhale, exhale, right? That's not refined. It's not slow. It's not subtle. The oxygen exchange is, is better when we go something like Exhale, 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 exhale. Pause at the bottom of the exhalation. And then a smooth inhale, 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 inhale. Pause at the top of the inhalation. You get the idea. Slower, smoother is better for a gas exchange. Now, Nostril control techniques are so amazing because they are like a valve. Same with ujjayi. Ujjayi is a valve too. Ujjayi will slow down the breath, which is what we want. But especially in the nostril control, that's amazing because we can close off one side 100% and then close off the other nostril 75%. And as that valve gets smaller, the volume of breath coming out through the smaller valve takes longer to get out. So when you close one side 100% and the other side 75%, you might get a six count inhalation or exhalation or both. <laughs> but when you close off the second side to 50% or 25% or even 10%, because the valve has gotten so small, the volume of air that's coming out is much less and it takes much longer to get out. So if you close down the second side, you know, once hundred percent, the second side is say 25%, you just turned your six count exhalation into a 12 count exhalation, a much more smooth, subtle, refined breath. Same with the inhalation. If you have this side, right side, hundred percent closed, left side 25% open, that amount, that 25% open is such a tiny valve that it's going to take a long time to get the breath to come in. So this is why we do Anulomo Ujjayi, Vilomo Ujjayi, Pratilomo Ujjayi, Nadi Shodhana, so many different amazing breathing techniques is to decrease the valve size, slow down the volume, make the breath longer on both inhalation and exhalation, which will then promote a proper gas exchange or a more higher percentage of gas exchange. You add the retentions on there, hold after exhale, hold after inhale, 
all the better. That's also going to increase the gas exchange. And what we know is that the gas exchange at the tissue level called the internal respiration is also dependent on the metabolic health and functions of the tissue. So if you have something like fibromyalgia or some other type of tissue disease, it's going to be harder for that gas exchange to happen at the tissue level. So we want to increase the percentage of oxygen getting there to the maximum through the nostril control breath techniques so that we have the best possible chance of getting the oxygen to the tissues. And I'll also say on the other end, on the external ventilation, right? That what's happening at the lung level, that is also dependent on the health of the alveoli in the lungs. So if you've been a smoker your whole life, or you have some type of lung disease where the alveoli aren't very healthy, that's going to impact the gas exchange in the lungs, the external ventilation, which is going to decrease the amount of oxygen being delivered to the tissues. And this right here is why pre-existing health conditions for many people who have COVID, that's what ends up getting them. Unfortunately, is that either the alveoli aren't healthy or the tissues aren't healthy and therefore the gas exchange can't happen and essentially they suffocate which is obviously sad. That is where a regular, wonderful, full yoga practice with asana, pranayama, meditation to help keep the whole system functioning well can be so, so critical to just keeping us in the best shape that we can in case we get COVID. We have the best chance of survival and the best chance of health and happiness possible. So I think this ends my presentation. I am so grateful that you allowed me to speak to you and tell you what I've been using with my clients to give them the best chance in prevention, maintenance, and recovery from COVID-19. I wish you well. I thank all of the organizers of the fifth Asian Yoga Therapy Conference for allowing me to be with you today and just give a big warm greeting to all of you that are joining us today. And I wish you the best. Thank you for listening to this talk that I gave at the South Asian Fifth Annual Yoga Therapy Conference. It was my pleasure. And I just want to finish up today's podcast talking just for a couple of minutes about COVID long hauler syndrome, because I think yoga therapy is perfectly placed to help people with this syndrome. As some of you know, it's basically people who have had COVID and sometimes it they could be vaccinated and other times not. It really isn't specific to vaccination or non-vaccination, but basically there seems to be a nervous system dysfunction as well as maybe breathing difficulties chronic pain, autonomic nervous system dysfunction, of course. And it's perfectly suited for us as yoga therapists because we work directly with 
balancing the nervous system. We work with self-regulation. We tend to have a really great opportunity to help people through chronic pain because our scope of practice is allowing us to do movement and breath and meditation and visualization and life purpose. Those things really make a difference with chronic pain. So I just want to encourage anyone out there who's looking for a niche as a yoga therapist and wants to work globally online, I think finding people who have COVID long hauler syndrome and getting into their Facebook groups and talking to them about how we can help through yoga therapy, I think it's going to be a big deal. It's something that probably Western medicine isn't going to be as effective at helping people deal with because it's so abstract and it's not like a pill is going to solve the problem. This is really a lifestyle medicine pathology. And what do we do? But we create happy, healthy, whole people who maybe have a a different perspective on their lives and what it means to be happy and healthy. And we know how to use pranayama to help activate or soothe the nervous system, which is also part of the chronic pain, we can help teach people how to take really nice, big, deep yogic breaths, as well as use things like humming. We have so many amazing tools that I think people with COVID long hauler syndrome will benefit from. So if anyone out there is looking for your niche, I think you should consider this. It's a really great niche that I think yoga therapy will will make a difference in this world when it comes to COVID long hauler syndrome. All right, everybody have a great day. Thanks for listening. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. 
Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.